0: Thank you. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of From Hunts to Humans. I am so excited to hear this story today. I saw Jennifer Ryla on TikTok and she was talking about Stephen Hassan's book and just really, um, what's it called, you know, seeing a gap in like the educational material in the anti-MLM space and really filling it, making sure that everyone had access to this knowledge and pointing people towards really good resources. And I was like, I need to talk to this lady. Um, so here she is. She was also an Arbonne and she was also a part of a coaching group. So I'm really excited to hear about both of your stories.
1: I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on here. I I never thought I would be on an anti MLM podcast, but I am so grateful that I am first and foremost. I like, um, and a little, I, I, like you said, I've been with, I was with Arbon. <laughs> See that, that speech comes through a little bit. I catch myself yeah. saying I am, or I was, so I was with Arbonne for eight years. Three of those years, I was a, what's known as a regional vice president. So I had earned the Mercedes after working my ass off for those entire eight years. I was the person that they refer to in the industry as like ignorance on fire when I first started. So I, I did all the things that I thought that, I was supposed to do and I worked was working all the time on my MLM business and I was I was targeted when I was presented with my MLM as a pregnant woman. So I had a daughter, a young daughter, she was 3 at the time and I was a social worker and I was pregnant with my second daughter and I worked for child and family services. And if you know anything about that, they have crazy hours. It's an exhausting job. Uh, I was on call every other weekend and all of those things. And a friend from college reached out to me and see, I kind of sound like I'm giving like my MLM spiel right now. Like, it's so funny. And um, I will say that it wasn't my upline that made me get out. It wasn't my products that made me get out, right? It was waking up and realizing that I was in a cult. But I was in nothing against her because she was just doing what she was told. She was new in to Arbon herself. I think she'd been in like three weeks and she was probably told like, hey, reach out to everybody that you know, make a list of 100 people. And she saw me probably complaining about my job on Facebook and that got me. And, um, what's kind of unique about my stories. I think a lot of people, a lot of people have the story of, well, I, and I didn't, I just wanted to sell products or I just, you know, wanted to use the products at a discount. That was not me. I remember getting on uh, a third party validation call, you know, with, with her upline and being told that this could be my way out of social work. Because I was, I was terrified of having two kids because I felt like I wasn't a good enough mom to the one kid I had. So how was I gonna do this with two? And I remember um, at that time in Arbonne, and now Arbonne has since been investigated by the FTC. Like they were one of the companies uh, just uh, during the pandemic that really got hit for good reason. So I don't believe that they do this to this extent. But when I signed up, if you wanted to take this seriously, you were making like a $1,500 to a $2,500 investment into your business. So uh, what? <laughs> yes. So that's what I did.
0: What? Okay. What? Okay. How how? Okay. So, and for anyone that's listening that doesn't know, I was also in bond. I was only in it for about a year, but um how on earth did they talk you into spending that much off the bat?
1: Well, I was I was presented that it was a legitimate business opportunity. If you were to purchase a rest, if you were to start a restaurant, if you were to even start your own Etsy shop, you'd need supplies, you'd need tools. How are you going to share the products with people if you don't have the products? You need to become a product of the products. So that apparently included having everything. I mean, and if if you know anything about any of the companies that have been around for a really long time, because Arbonne's one of them they, they have a catalog of like hundreds of products. And at that time they were really heavy into, so this was like 2014. Okay. Mm. So at that time they were also really heavy into home parties and that scene. So, I mean, just like anything, it's like, this is a business investment. This is an investment in your future. And I'm young and naive. I'm stressed out. I'm just like You know, like a lot of people, I thought this was my sign to be home with my kids. And so I I invested. I didn't tell my husband how much I was investing. I have since told him. But at that time, I remember because I had put it on a credit card and I hadn't told my husband, I just started talking to people, started using the product, started doing all the things I was being told to do, I will say it was looking back, you know, there's always red flags when you like look back. I remember getting on that call with that upline and her very much being like, you know, the same questions like, oh, you're a social worker. Do you love what you do? You know, well, what if you could, you know, be home with your kids uh, you know what? Do you like to make money? Like those questions that are asked of you that, like, even an idiot would say yes to, <laughs> where you're out of your critical thinking mind. And I remember her casting that vision, and and I remember reading or listening to a podcast with Stephen Hassan, and he said, you know, as soon as they get into your imagination. That's when they've got you. And that's what she did because all I did all day as a social worker was think, think about other people's families, think about bills, think about, you know, keeping people safe, think about, you know, what I was gonna make for dinner. That's all you feel like you do as a human being sometimes is think about so it's like when I could have like have this vision, this imaginative vision explained to me all of a sudden it gave me that warm, fuzzy feeling. And I thought this could be my way out. And I, out of, I mean, I don't know what else you want to know, but I started recruiting and um, built a team. And I was told like, you know, wow, you're such a rock star. And they started to use my story in our team group as like this stressed out social worker from a small town. And she's building totally on social media because there's like one stoplight in her town, which is true, by the way. I do live in a really small town. Um, And that felt really good to have that attention because I'm working for the government. It's like, I'm, I'm not feeling noticed and recognized in my job the way that I should, the way that I could, even though I was a hard worker. Yeah, and yeah.
0: yeah. Like that, that job is so hard and so demanding and the way that I can only imagine those people are treated by like their employees and their employer it, like uh,
1: just
0: uh I know. it just makes me sad
1: <laughs> it it is sad and I know social workers aren't the only people that they prey on teachers new moms um, nurses I mean <laughs> female dominated industries yeah often um I'm sure therapists I'm sure people that have because, you know, another thing I've learned from Stephen Hassan and Douglas Brooks and, um, you know, who are advocates for the anti-MLM industry is that, you know, like, and you've heard it from, you know, um, The Vow and um, Nippy Ames and Sarah Edmondson from that, from the Nexium cult, nobody joins a cult, they join a good thing. Yes. But to take that even further, it, it, joining, getting in has nothing to do with your critical thinking skills or your brains or your intelligence. It has everything to do with them preying on your desire for goodness or your desire to help people or to do a good thing. So, whether it's buying products to support a friend or it's helping people with their skin or to lose weight or to make them feel better. They insidiously prey on that deep core need for us to want to help be of service. And as a social worker, like that's why I got into social work. I'm like, or I got into helping kids and families. I could do that with this. Yeah. And so my story quickly began became that. Uh, you know, this stressed-out social worker who is now like on social media, uh, like recruiting and she's, you know, then I got to the second level in Arbon, and I stayed there for like four and a half years. Um, but that became my story. But I want to say this very clearly because I know there's content out there that still might paint that narrative. I then quit my social work job for my MLM, which is what they want you to do, right?
0: Yep. They try to make it so you are completely reliant on the
1: MLM. Yes. And that was pitched to me from the very beginning was this could be your way out of social work. And I so I created content. I rode that. I rode that all the way to my Mercedes, okay? Um, But it wasn't true. And I want to be very clear is that not... I take full responsibility for pitching that. But the reason why I was home with my kids is because my business was bringing in a little bit, a lot less than I thought. And I didn't realize it until later. At the time, I thought I was rolling in the dough. No, I was spending way more than I was bringing in. But I was able to stay home not because of Arbon or because of MLM. I was able to stay home because Of my fucking husband, (laughs) you know? And I wanna say that with so much clarity because it was actually his income that was supporting me. And I know that that is true for so many of these MLM women. And we get convinced because it was like this story. I didn't come up with that story. It was like my upline sold it. Like I did training calls. It was like, I was like, Going so quickly, that ignorance on fire that they were like, oh, look at this story. Because they want they, it was like another way to love bomb me. Like, we're gonna use your story. It's gonna help so many people. And so I started to believe that actually my MLM was getting me out of social work. When that in, in fact was not the case, when I quit social work, I was making, I mean. I don't know, maybe a thousand dollars a month. And sure. Could that, could that help somebody, but it wasn't consistent. I'm saying when I quit, I'm saying like probably the month I quit, that's the check, I <laughs> but like that. So you have to understand too, like that your income is never consistent in an MLM. Right. Yeah. And like,
0: you're right too. Like, you know, you get this
1: one big check that's like a thousand
0: dollars and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm really doing it. When in reality, the checks that you're bringing home from your nine to five are probably at least a thousand dollars. Like you're getting at least $2,000 a month, at least. And in our field.
1: (laughs) And you're told Um, that it's only going to continue to grow as long as you don't give up.
0: Right. Exactly. And like when you're in a field, like the field that we're in, like, it's just so the work is so taxing emotionally. And, you know, it ends up taking a toll on your body too, eventually, as you continue to do it, because you just end up holding all of everyone's trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I totally get it. All of the reasons that you joined were the reasons why I joined not right. neces- I didn't think I was going to leave mental health. I just thought that I would be able to live more comfortably and do mental health because obviously I want to save the world. Um, so, this is just another way for me to save the world with the people Absolutely. that I actually know because I can't give therapy to the people that are my friends. <laughs> but I can sell them Arbonne.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, so. I quit my job. I become completely dependent on the cult. And that's when I really started to lose myself and take on this cult identity. So that was about, that was only like four months in, I had gotten to this second level, which is, is considered significant in that company, whatever that means in MLMs, right? Cause it's all deception and it's, It's all like gonna fall at any moment. But just for the sake of the podcast, I'll just say I got there in like four months. I thought, well, if I can do this in four months, making a grand a month or whatever it was, imagine if I did this for four years. Imagine, you know? So I quit my job. I'm about to go on maternity leave. And what happened is while on maternity leave, I'm messaging people like while I'm breastfeeding, like so many moms do. And I was told, you know, if you work this business while you're on maternity leave, you don't have to go back. You won't have to go back to work. That is, I mean, it it kind of makes me emotional to think about it because I lost so much time with my kids. And that is kind of like my anti MLM why but I lost so much time with my kids thinking I was building something for them. And that is what is pitched to so many moms. And it is, it's heartbreaking to think that there are new moms out there, young moms, like I was who are thinking that they're not good enough and they're getting a message in their inbox and they're trading all this time. And, and so that's what I did. And so while I was on maternity leave, I was a crazy person. Um, also, my, you have to understand, like my story was getting in our team was getting a lot of attention. I kind of felt like I had to live up to this ideal. I quit my job and um, I don't go back, even though my income had dipped. But now it's like do or die, right? So
0: I'm sorry. I just have a question. So you were the, I'm just looking at the income disclosure. So you were an area manager
1: when I quit. When when I quit. quit
0: So just so everyone knows, that is the top 33% of, or that's, yeah, the 33% of the company. So not that much, but like enough that it feels like there's
1: people there, you know? Well, and you have to understand, I'm, also told that that's not, I was not shown the income disclosure statement. I was shown um, a photo that said district managers make 1,000 to 1,500, area man- managers make two to 4,000. So I thought I'm an area manager. Now I'm going to be making at least 4,000 until I get to the next level because those, and because my my former company was cracked down by the FTC. I think they have steered away from that. I am not even sure. I'm sure there's people out there that still do this, but they did not share actual income disclosure statements. They were sharing average incomes and it's very deceptive. I just... Okay, I was actually just reading the
0: wrong line. District managers are 33% of the company. 8% of the company is area managers. Woo! Because I was just doing the math because I was like trying to figure out if it actually added up to 100%. And I've, yeah, anyways, I messed up. Um, but yeah, so 8% of the company, that's still really like you're in the top 10% of the company at that point. That, and yeah, that's in the first second four level.
1: months. <laughs> yeah which feels great because they first, they love bomb everybody because they just want to see who, you know, they can keep around the campfire, which is a term that we always used um, in the coaching space, but which I'll get to. So I quit my job and and I'll get Get back to that. But yeah, so I was never shown the actual income disclosure statement. And if I was, so say it was on, because I know somebody's going to say, well, it's on the contract that you, whatever, like the box that you get in the mail from whatever, the email. You know, I was shown several times before that and on the third party call that I was on the average income, I'm sure you can find one if you Google it, but it said that district managers make this much, all area managers make this much. All. And so I was, I thought it was like when you get a job and you're like guaranteed a salary, which is not how MLMs work. Um, and me, and you know what, if I'm naive for thinking that I take hundred percent responsibility, but that's why I'm here to speak out because I know I'm not the only one.
0: You're absolutely not. And like I, you know, I think that when you go into it, you do think like you're gonna be making something. Cause why would all of these people say that they're making all this money and that they're doing so well and portray their lives to be so successful if they're not making the money that they're talking about? Right.
1: And the other thing that they did that I didn't even talk about was I was recruiting so much. Um, that actually they sent one of their VPs to come to my little town um, to do like an opportunity meeting. And so she came and she was like, gonna help me grow to the next level. <laughs> you know, it's always like grow to the next level. You're, you're never good enough where you are, right? It's never about self-acceptance. So she came and actually like helped me recruit more people to bring you know that social proof that's talked about in cults. People act like it's just an MLM. No, it's something that's talked about in cults. Um, and so that again felt really good. And then the other thing that cults and MLMs prey on is that the law of reciprocity. If I come and help you. With your business, help you recruit, then I've done this for you and you can't leave. So I feel like then I was really connected to like the VPs that were on my team. And I thought that they really like believed in me. And I felt an obligation, you know, people pleasing. I was a social worker, like (laughs) I'm a people pleaser. It's a trauma response, right? You know, so I'm like, I 'm like trying to please trying to find a place to belong um, and all of those things, so I quit my job i 'm working my butt off. I am acting like i 'm a present mom now that i 'm at home, but i 'm constantly on my phone, constantly messaging, constantly showing up for different um, zoom calls and trainings and you know planning events and you know, doing things for my team and one-on-one coaching with like new recruits. And I mean, I was spinning in circles going nowhere and I got stuck at that 8% level that you were talking about for four and a half years from that point. And, but I couldn't quit because I'd already quit my job. So I'm like deeper and deeper. And then I'll never forget it. I was having like a come to Jesus moment on the bathroom floor. We had like a series of like blizzards and I live in Michigan and I couldn't work my business because my kids had been home from school for the last week. And I thought, oh my God, I can't work my business like, like because I had been just so obsessed. Um, I came across an ad for a coaching group and I thought, that's what I need. I need an MLM coach to help me out of this. No, no, you don't. Right. (laughs) And I've since learned that I, I believe allegedly in my opinion, that the MLM coaching space is actually even more destructive than mlms themselves if you could even say that but in in my opinion they're piggybacking off of something that's already deceptive and they're taking advantage of people who are already being taken advantage of um it just gets you
0: deeper and deeper Mm -hmm. and deeper in like because you invest so much money into these coaching groups that you feel like you are the failure so you have to keep going because if you're not making money after you join a coaching group then obviously you're doing something wrong yeah
1: so I'm like a little minion at this point because I'm so deep into my own MLM and I'm so obsessed with the idea of success and I like I was already like an overachiever in my life like that was kind of like my um what are they called like child archetypes or whatever you know where I I was already labeled I identified as being an overachiever so what I will say about MLMs and like also the coaching space is like it checked all the boxes for like that overachieving people pleaser in me you know it's like I I just ate it up And that's why I became obsessed. And on top of that, and I don't know if you know this, but I do a lot of sobriety content. On top of that, I've been sober for 18 months and I have an addictive personality. So if that gives you any sort of indication into all the layers of this. Yeah, well, congratulations
0: on 18 months. That's amazing. Um, Yeah, and I don't know if you've consumed any of, Uh, the episodes like that Megan Williams has done she also has her own podcast the authenticity experiment It just started if anyone has not listened to it yet you definitely need to um but she talks a lot about the overlap uh she's also experienced um people getting like recruited from sobriety programs and things like that and like how just those two groups overlap so much and it's It's a lot when you have an addictive personality to be in an MLM. I mean, yes, it's just a lot. Like I get it from the ADHD point of view. Like I, I, we talk about all the time I'm dopamine seeking. So when I was in an MLM, I was addicted to the dopamine rush that I was getting. So I can only imagine if like you're struggling with addiction of any sort and then getting into an MLM, that overlap of feeling similar to that. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know if you have any thoughts like about what is going on like chemically there or anything like that, but I'd love to hear it if you do.
1: Well, yeah, the dopamine seeking, the uh, achiever in me, the addictive personality. um, Yeah. I loved being able to check things off a list. I loved the party aspect of going to these events, just being like, everything just being like exciting and fun and that need for variety and change as a mom you know like you you get caught in a loop and i loved like having something of my own i mean there again there are a lot of layers but so i joined this coaching group and um i had already been sober for a little while at that point and then during the pandemic i fell off the wagon so that's been where the 18 months comes from but um still struggling not really healing in my sobriety but kind of like white knuckling it through and i know there's going to be listeners who relate to that there's such a difference between sobriety and actual recovery now i know with absolute certain, certainty that i'm in recovery i'm healing so i joined this coaching group and what in this coaching group, there is um, a daily video that you have to show up for and watch. You're expected to. I guess I shouldn't say have to. There's an expectation that if you want to go to the top, you need to show up, watch this daily video. And I remember I, I was watching a video and he was teaching, they were teaching about how to edify. And now it's interesting because since I've been out of Um, my MLM and I've been learning about loaded language, which are these thought-stopping cliches and these things that they say to kind of quell your cognitive dissonance and end any and all questioning. As I've been learning about loaded language, the term edification as it is used in the MLM coaching space and in MLMs is actually not even what it really means. They actually use it as deification, which is like treating something like a god or like showing gratitude or worship towards something that's helped you and Julie Anderson, who I know you've done a, a, a podcast episode with, has some great content on the, on that specifically, but there was a daily video about edification, and they were asking people to share the value that they've gotten from this group so far, like, what's your story? And that was really hammered into us. And so within, um, within about 90 days of joining that group, I actually promoted to the next level in my MLM, which was VP, the, um, the Mercedes level, which is um, Top two. Yeah, which is the social proof level. That's what they call it. You have the Mercedes. Mm-hmm. So my brain is like, oh, it's because of this group. When you have, remember, I'm working like a crazy person. I mean, I it's it's a mathematically flawed method, but I mean, you there is some like something's gonna come together and then it's gonna fall apart. It's just not gonna last. That's what I want people to understand. So of course I'm like, I'm gonna comment and let him know that after four and a half years of struggling in my MLM, allegedly, in my opinion, this group is the thing that got me to because that's what you are made. You're made to put all of your success into the coaches and into your company, and all the negativity is your fault. Your mindset is flawed. Um, you didn't work hard enough. So of course I'm just giving it away to, to them. And so I get contacted by somebody on their team and I get recruited in to become a coach for their organization.
0: Oh, I'm so curious. And you talk about what that compensation plan is like.
1: (laughs) So I was asked if I would be, if I wanted to become a coach and represent, um, a represent their group. But what actually it was is it is a contracted group that is made it's pitched as if you're going to get one-on-one coaching from this MLM coaching leader, because he's kind of a big name in the MLM space. And you know, you're, you're made to believe that you're in his inner circle. And, but really they, like, they go live and they're like once a month and you can ask some questions, but it's nothing like that. You are paired with a coach who's actually employed from this other company. Is that making sense? Like, okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's all so <laughs> filled with so much deception that it's like, hard to even speak it out loud sometimes. So I'm like, sure. I could become a coach because also I'm worried about the stability of my MLM. I think everyone who builds an MLM is worried about how long can I keep this up? There's always that fear.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I, I was always at the bottom of all of my MLMs, but like the attrition is just yeah. so regular like Yes. You bring one person in and you lose two. So you need to constantly be doubling everything that you're doing.
1: So I'm like, oh my gosh, everything is working out for me. This would be a steady stream of income. And it was an hourly rate. And meanwhile, they are selling these packages for, you know, $2,500, $5,000, 7000 packages and up. Um, and they're getting paired with these coaches who are really just people that have created a success story within. I was never a coach. Sure, I'm, I'm, consider- I'm the top 2% of my company, but I never coached people. And so I was then put on like I was a speaker at his event. I was put on a panel, like, look at the, again, it's like, I'm love bombed. I'm made to feel like special, significant and all these things. And that's where um, things really started to get, my cognitive dissonance really started to kick in because what seemed to happen inside of these groups is like we ha- we would have these these calls with the team and we were expected to come mm-hmm. to them with with questions and now allegedly in my opinion you could never question the coaching that was given to you so for example if i said you know hey i've got a client who's and, and all of the all the people in it are MLMers. Okay. And I'm, so I'm coaching fellow, fellow MLMers. So not only are these people investing in their MLM, they've now paid 2,500, 5,000, whatever for a coach to tell them what to do. And so if I had a client that was struggling and I would come to these meetings with this leader and say, Hey, I have a client who's struggling with this. And he would give me advice. If I didn't agree with that advice, because granted, this, this leader hasn't actually built in an MLM in like 10 years. So, and they've only had success in one company. They were in like 11 companies and only had success in one. So allegedly, in my opinion, are you serious? Yes. So allegedly, in my opinion, I'm not really sure the credibility that any of these coaches or he even have. Okay. On top of the fact that they're, they're piggybacking off of an already deceptive culty group. So, um, anyway, we couldn't question any of the tactics or strategies used. There were a lot of like Stephen Hassan talks about, you know, in combating cult mind control, a lot of cult phobias implanted. The biggest one was that If you questioned anything, there would be a daily video made about you. So remember, I mentioned that every day you you were expected to watch this daily video. There was a very real fear that if you asked a weird question, the tomorrow's daily video would be about you and your mindset and how they fixed it, how he steered you the right way. Allegedly, in my opinion, that is how I felt. And I was made to feel, and I know I'm not alone in that. That's,
0: I don't even have words. Like, that's just so scary. That's absolutely scary.
1: And so, um, and we were, at first, this was pitched to me as something like, you know, 10 hours a week kind of like how they say you can build your MLM in like 10 hours a week, okay? Um, And then slowly, and and we did create our own schedules, I will say that. So as I no longer had time to be obsessed with my MLM, my MLM started to just go backwards because that's what happens. So I've got this coaching thing that I'm doing and my MLM, my MLM is going backwards. So of course I'm gonna take on more coaching hours. But on top of that, it wasn't just coaching people one-on-one. We were asked to do so many things um, and just like constant bombardment of information. I think I was getting like four to five emails a day from the group. I was bombarded with messages like, hey, we need somebody to do this video. We need somebody to do this training. We're going to put on this challenge. We need the coaches to be ready for this. And like any human being, after already building in my MLM for how many years, like on overdrive, I got burned out. And I um, started to take a step back. So one, and this is where Julie Anderson comes in. I started to talk about like my need to take a break from social media. And she had done some content on the social dilemma. And I'm like, I'm going to watch that. So I watched it and I, and I'm like, oh, well maybe it's social media. It's not MLM, it's social media. So I started to take regular detoxes, like 48 hours. And I started to wake up. Like I started to have more cognitive dissonance and Um, started to just question more things. And and so I then decided I was going to step away from my MLM groups and I was going to do network marketing right. And I think that that's um, a phase that people go through that's really real.
0: Completely agree with you. I think a lot of people go through that phase where they're like, okay, like, and that was my Arbon phase. I was like, I'm going to do this right. I'm not going to focus on recruiting people. I'm just going to sell the products. I'm not going to like, let it rule my life. That, did, that didn't happen at all. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, what was your version
0: of doing it right?
1: Yeah. So I, very similar in the sense that I'm like, i am I don't have time to recruit. Because now I'm so consumed with this other thing. So I'm going to just service my clients and customers and my team. And also, uh, I'm I'm already serving people in the industry as a coach for all these different companies. So I am already doing it right. But again, I saw so many people struggling. You just can't deny it. After it's like, it's like a therapist. I was like a, an untrained therapist to most of these people. And they're coming to call after call saying, I'm struggling, I'm doing the work. I'm because the other thing that was taught in this group is like if you just do a video every single day and you like ask, you you go for you get like 20 people to tell you no and you work on yourself, you will become a top earner. That was literally a sentence that was said. And so these people are like, and first of all, going for 20 no's a day is like insane. So it's already a standard that is setting people up to fail on top of the failure rate of MLMs.
0: You know, what's really interesting, too, is um, we talk about this a lot on this podcast is the amount of people that are neurodivergent, usually ADHD, um, and also autism uh, that are in MLMs. uh, Rejection sensitivity is a huge part of neurodivergency and you're telling all of these people that have rejection sensitivity i mean not, not everyone that has adhd experiences that um not trying to make a blanket statement for by all me, any means but um you know i just think about that and i'm like when they told me to do that i wouldn't do it
1: mm, good for you cuz i was like you.
0: i'm not i was like i i tried but i would never go that hard cuz i was like i can't listen to more people tell me no like
1: Good for you. And that's really good on you for like setting a boundary. I had no boundaries. And I think a lot of multi-level marketers have no boundaries for themselves or for others because you're taught like a no means no, not right now. Or no just means next opportunity or follow up until they die. And you are told all of these things.
0: I'm sorry. Did you just say
1: follow up until they die? Yes. Follow up until they die that that's from the coaching group I was in by the way and he would pride himself on that by the way allegedly in my opinion he it was used as a badge of honor like look at I followed up with this person so much basically until they were hateful or dead um and so you're told like if you're not following up until they die you're not working hard enough you're you're taking advantage of people's deep seated belief to, to feel like they're enough to feel like they're enough. And, um, so I started to see that bullshit and, and as a, as a coach and, and just with my like background and everything and just taking those detoxes, I'm like, this just doesn't feel right. And there was so much cognitive dissonance where you feel like you don't need, I started to feel like, I don't know who, who I who I was. And now I realized that's because I was waking up from the cult identity that's on purpose. And so I re, um, I started consuming Julie Anderson's content and I know this is, I feel like this is turning into a long story. I'm so sorry, but there's so many nuances and I hope people are getting value from it.
0: You're doing great.
1: Um, okay. But I started consuming Julie Anderson's content because her and I were actually connected in that same coaching group. And I respected her uh, because she was great at content, number one. I mean, she's hard not to watch. (laughs) Her her content is so great. And I'm like, oh, I feel the same way. I started to have those things like, oh, I get that. I understand that. I see what she's saying for the first time. Whereas before, when I didn't take those regular breaks or I didn't have that cognitive dissonance, I was like, anti-MLM no, stay away. I'm going to be like cursed or shunned. I, but she is probably the only person I would have listened to. And I'm so grateful for that. Uh, because I, I didn't know how much I needed her. So I started listening. I started to see it. And then shortly thereafter, I had a coworker, um, a colleague in that group express that she was feeling the same things. And it, you guys. You can feel so siloed in this stuff, right? You can feel like so alone in in your negative thoughts, and I'm doing air quotes because they're not negative. They are you. They're like you critically thinking through this stuff, and and your body like wanting to heal. I had a coworker, colleague tell me, I, "I'm feeling I'm feeling really weird about coaching. Like, how do you feel?" And I'm like, "Oh my god!" And so. We, um, started to kind of heal together and I told people how I felt, but it was, it was like, oh, well, could you stay for a little bit longer? It was like, just trying to get more, nothing, nothing like, Hey, um, well, I'm not going to say that they didn't say, Hey, how can we support you? But it was empty. You know what I mean? Um, I will say that they did say, how can we support you? Literally that. That I got a message. My, my colleague and I got the same exact message a minute apart that said, Hey, heard you're thinking about leaving. How can we support you?
0: And that doesn't mean how can we support you the way we want it to. It means how can we support you to come back?
1: Yes. Yes. But then we were promised more money and it wasn't about money. It was like, we just feel wrong about what's happening. But then it's like, well, help us get to this point and this point and this point. And there was a lot of good in those groups. And I know, cause I know there's going to be people that say, but it's not all bad and it's not, but you can't ignore the bad. That's like, you get to this point where um, you, you want, everybody wants to do the right thing. And what felt like the right thing for me was leaving but like I said, my people pleasing or whatever you want to call it, I'll take responsibility for it. I kept staying longer. And I really wanted to help these clients because I also felt like if I'm not their coach, they're just going to get assigned a different coach. Who's going to be so deep in MLM that they almost like they need me, which maybe that sounds like culty to say, but like I want to help them wake up. I want to help people get out that that started to happen. So I stayed and then I was on a meeting with, because, you know, it was pitched that all the coaches were like got specialized coaching um, within this group. And really what that, what specialized meant is we would have a meeting with the head of this um, once a month and we would come to him with questions. And actually one time nobody had a question and he totally shamed us. He was like, if you're not coming with questions, like, you know, it it doesn't mean that you don't wanna do your job, but maybe it does. Like it, we were totally shamed for not asking questions. We also shamed um, more more than once Uh, for not selling all the challenges and the tools and the courses to our clients. We were told this whole story about like a personal trainer at a gym, maybe just wants to personal train, but they're not serving their clients at the highest level. If they're not also selling supplements and memberships and, and literally said, you don't want to serve your clients at the highest level. If you are not selling them all of our stuff, because you don't know what's going to get them to the next level. And it was just a lot. And so I'm on this meeting and that day, I, it was already clear that I was going to leave and, but I never was going to throw the first punch. and. I was sitting there during the meeting, kind of like, I guess, half involved, half not. But I will say that maybe I had a look on my face. And I was actually, in my opinion, I feel like I was provoked. And I just laid in laid into them. And I basically said, all the things that I thought were wrong and deceitful, And that I didn't agree with, that I could no longer support, that I was scared for our clients and that there was a clear message that these people were being told to defy their emotions and um, defy their like critical thinking and that they were being indoctrinated. And within 24 hours, I was removed from all of the groups and completely blackballed and um I had content made about me and you know I did get a message afterwards that was very gaslighting like I'm sorry you let yourself get to the level of frustration where you felt like you couldn't come to me Not understanding that there is a real fear, again, of the daily video being made about you or just being shamed on a call in front of all of your colleagues. It was not a safe space. And honestly, that was such a huge blessing because I didn't realize how badly I needed to get out. And so if I got kicked out for standing up for myself, for my clients, for the good people who are still in there, then I know in my heart, I did the right thing. And that's how I feel. And that's where we're at today because now I, I feel so compelled to continue to speak out, not only to help people in the MLM space, but also those people that get caught up in the MLM coaching space.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow
1: it's a lot
0: (laughs) yeah I like uh, I had so many feelings um like I'm so (laughs) proud of you for like I'm like I know ideally that probably wasn't the best way to leave like you know we usually encourage people to like look at their finances and like try to figure out how to back out slowly especially when you're up as high as you were and all that stuff so you just immediately lost it all
1: Yeah, I lost, so I've had, you know, the content that was made about me or messages that I've received, like have implied that I'm doing this for attention or because I'm hateful or bitter, you know, um, I was told that after, you know, I got off of that meeting that I was in, it was clearly explained that they, the person, you know, the leader was the victim of my resentment that I didn't deal with. yeah so all of my colleagues get told that this is an example of resentment that doesn't get dealt with whereas at the beginning of the call he was telling people that we get off on our own emotions and we're addicted to them and that we Mm. need to defy them
0: that just gives me Keith Braniere vibes
1: uh, yeah. Well, the vow is one of the things and a little bit culty podcast is one of the things that helped me wake up because I learned about that from Julie Anderson. So, but yes, it totally <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like,
0: total Keith vibes. Like that's scary. Like what he was saying, like that's all like in Nexium, like he was telling people how to interpret their emotions and that's what this guy's doing
1: yeah and then also telling me I'm sorry you let it get to the level of frustration where you felt like you couldn't come to me Um, this is why um so yeah and and I looking back because you know there were other things where you know my mind started to be like like feel bad about getting provoked and um being triggered, right? Because we get so indoctrinated that everything's a trigger and like somehow there's something wrong with you. But in my healing, because I am seeing a therapist, I have sought out other people um, in the space and and that's been just amazing. But I realized it was a trauma response. And we get in, in the MLM space, in the coaching space, you get told like, you can't have a trauma response because you can't have a reaction because something's wrong with you. I wouldn't say you should have a reaction over and over and over and over and over again. But if someone who you are like afraid of, um, provokes you and you don't have a trauma response. (laughs) So I think that in that moment, that was my trauma response and that's just how it went down. And I'm going to, I stand by that. Cause that's how I felt. I felt yeah. provoked and I felt like I was fighting for my life.
0: Okay. So I have a few follow-up questions kind of circling back to your MLM. So did you, after all of this happened, is that when you left Arbon? have you already gotten all the way out? Are you still in?
1: No. So I, so I had left I had backed away from my Arbon business, like recruiting and stuff. Like it was either end of last year or early this year. I think it might've been January of this year. So I'd already been like backing out. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in May, when um, I started to like want to leave coaching and all these other things, I'd actually reached out to have, no, it goes back. So my ID was going to be renewed in March. So March 31st, I did not renew. But then I still had like an ID and I was like, what the heck? So then I called and like, I was told like, I have this team and also I have this Mercedes and like, there was a lease on it that like my husband and I were paying for because it's not free. And there were all these like loopholes as to why, because apparently they, they said that like I automatically renewed because I I did enough sales or, or something to that effect. I'm actually not sure. So on that, but anyway, so I'm like, okay. So, but th- by the time May came, I'm like, I want to be out. So I contacted customer service to get out and I was kind of ignored. Actually, no, I was ignored. <laughs> And then I had my upline who I, I will say again, I am not leaving because of her. She is still amazing. I'm so grateful that she's still a friend of mine. Um, Reach out to uh, them and say, hey, can you terminate this ID? Still nothing. I was told to contact them. Then I was told again that you have this lease. It wasn't, long story short, it wasn't until... I started making disparaging content. So we're talking about a month and a half, a month, maybe a month later. A month later, all of a sudden I get this email that I'm disparaging their name. I'm disparaging the industry, that they've seen my content because I knew I had other leaders that reported it. Um, and then finally, so yeah, I, I no longer have an ID or anything. Finally, they responded and they uh, terminated it.
0: I They're love just, how they were like, they were like, "No, you must stay." It's like, <laughs> what happened?
1: To well, you know, they they ago? just ignored it. Yeah, they, they, yeah. I mean, they never said they did say like, "We hate to see you go." You know? yeah. But Um, I just felt like it just wasn't a priority until it's like, "Oh, this person's talking." We we can't um, now. We want to get rid of her at all costs.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So that was a little sketchy. Um, so I guess yeah. the
0: lesson learned here is that if your MLM company will not let you or not not <laughs> at all not acknowledge your uh, wanting to quit, you can just start talking about them, and they will send you a termination letter. <laughs> How quickly did you get a termination letter from when you started talking?
1: Oh, uh, talking using their name, twenty four hours. Yep. Yeah. Sounds about right. So I was already doing anti-MLM content, but not saying their name. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
0: So they, they yeah. were probably just waiting for you to say their name that way they could yeah. justify the, it.
1: The other interesting thing as far as like reaching out and communication is since I've started creating anti-MLM content, I have only had top leaders. I mean, and I was a, considered a top leader in Arvon too, I have only had top leaders reach out to me to shame me and say, I'm sorry, you had a bad experience. It certainly wasn't my experience. Like not all environments are bad. I tell my team to do this. Like, I'm sorry if your upline was bad and like blah, blah, blah. And it's interesting because like all the lower levels are like, wow, that makes sense. Oh my gosh. My upline does the same thing. Oh wow. I felt the same thing when I, it's all like they can relate to my content, whereas all the top leaders are trying to silence me. And I—that's just, in my opinion, that's just an observation that I have. But it is an interesting one.
0: It is interesting. Uh, that's that's really interesting that you've noticed that trend, in because yeah. I've seen your videos that you make about that. You guys, if you are not following jennifer on tiktok uh you need to do you have an instagram too where where can people find you
1: so i am on instagram and tiktok and facebook all just my name pretty boring but it's jennifer and then dot ryla so ryla is spelled r-a-j-a-l-a and um yeah so that's the, it's the same instagram facebook all of it jennifer dot Rila. i we're
0: not friends on Instagram. So obviously I need to make sure that we are now. (laughs) Um, oh my gosh, I am so excited. This was so wonderful. Um, are there any other like things that you want to talk about before I ask you my final question?
1: No, I'm, I think I covered it. It's kind of a long, juicy story, but I just appreciate you having me on. Yeah.
0: Um, I also just before I ask you my final question I just need to say uh, Julie Anderson we've we've talked about you throughout this podcast and I actually got really emotional while you were talking about uh, your interaction with her I don't know if you saw me I like started to cry Um, I was like really excited um, because I've had so many wonderful if you guys aren't following Julie Anderson like she's amazing um I've had so many awesome conversations with her about her advocacy journey and what she wanted to do. And when she was like nervous about speaking out and I remember all of those early conversations and I got really emotional because it, sometimes it really just takes one person
1: Mm. to
0: tell their story for you to make a difference. And Julie, you have already made a difference to so many people, but I am talking to one of the people that you have made a difference to. And like, what a big deal. Like, you're a big deal. You, you could affect a lot of people. Like, Julie, you did that. And I'm saying it publicly for everyone to know because you're amazing and everyone should go follow your content because you're a good person. Um, anyways, go Julie. <laughs> <laughs> and go you because you got out and that's amazing too. All of this is just amazing. This is just awesome. And um, sorry if you feel like I'm love bombing you. Uh, <laughs> no,
1: you or Julie. No, like, of I'm, you. I'm so
0: sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, well, I guess it's different because I don't get any gain out of.
1: No, anything. I don't feel love bombed at all.
0: <laughs> um. Anyways, so we kind of touched upon it in the podcast, but what is your anti MLM? Why
1: I look back and I see how much time I spent obsessed with this dangling carrot of success that MLMs prey on. And it took me away from the present. While it also convinced me that the only way that I could be a present mom was if I had this MLM business that I could work from home, work from anywhere. And like, I was constantly on my phone And I was constant. And if I wasn't on my phone, I was thinking about it. Like, what are my numbers? Who can I talk to? Is there anyone I haven't asked yet? And that's how you get to become a top leader is you have to literally like become obsessed with it. And, you know, they, they pitch this, you can fit it in the nooks and crannies of your day. And in these pockets of time, but alongside of what alongside of your life, you're still not living life. And, and, you know, I was prospecting this. I I was proud of this. I did post on Facebook about this, by the way. So I'm retracting it, but like from when I had my C-section with my daughter, I was, I had all my products and I posted something and I was prospecting people while, you know, the nurses were taking care of her. I mean, it was, It was insane. And so my why is for those moms who feel like they'll never be a good enough mom unless they have a side hustle or unless they can do something that works that will allow them to work from home, because I'm telling you, whatever you are doing is enough and do not let these MLM recruiters or these Huns, right? I think the bro bosses are really bad too, but, um, don't let them convince you otherwise. That's, that's truly my why.
0: I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From like the bottom of my heart. I think this was such an important, uh, glimpse into the coaching world and also, you know, I, I think that a lot of people think that the story from the top of the pyramid is different from the story at the bottom. And like, in some ways it is, but in a lot of ways it was the same.
1: Right. Right. Oh. Um, I am grateful to be out and I'm grateful to share and I'm grateful for the anti-MLM community because I always thought that they were out to get me and they're absolutely not. So this is a full circle moment. I'm, I'm thankful.
0: Oh, I'm so proud of you. And I'm so glad that you're here. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, If you don't mind, take a screenshot of this uh, episode, share it on your social media, tag me in it. Um, If you love the podcast, please be sure to rate it with five stars. It does make a difference um, and helps me to get the word out to other people. Um, You know, If we can't take down the MLM industry, the least we can do is make consumers aware of what they are buying and make sure they're making informed choices before they join these companies. So um, thank you guys for helping me and for listening to me and just being here. Um, The other thing I want to let you guys know is that I'm hopefully going to take the month of July off. Um, So if you get any episodes in July, they will have been recorded in June. Uh, and then I plan to be back at it in August. Um, so yeah. Um, but it's not going anywhere. I promise I'll come back. I just need a little break. So, um, all right. I think that's it. So have a fantastic weekend, everyone. Bye.